So as you may notice from the Christmas decorations, uh, that we are in this specific Christmas season, and here, uh, kind of in the, in the history of the church, we like to call this season Advent. Uh, it's a time uh, where we are anticipating Christmas, where we are remembering the fact that Jesus has come, and we're looking forward to the celebration of His coming. And in this kind of discipline of, of waiting and teaching ourselves to, to look forward to something, we're actually practicing a skill that's necessary for us as Christians out in the wild. Right, because we are a people who live between the two advents. That Jesus, well, advent, by the way, it means coming. So Jesus has come once, right? And he's coming again. He's returning. And so we're a people who live in between his two comings. And so the waiting that we practice when we look forward to Christmas is the waiting uh, that we are doing as Christians in our day-to-day lives. And after last night, we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, Right? And the, the candle that we taught, so each week we light a different candle and we read a scripture that has to do with like a different Advent theme. The first one was hope. The second one was peace. This morning's was joy. And this morning we're gonna just keep talking more about hope, okay? We're really just stuck on that first one. And I think at this point we're just gonna write it out for the, for the Advent season. We're gonna major on this first theme kind of throughout because hope is such a, a critical part of what it means to be a human, that the way that we experience life as people is framed by, is determined by, in a lot of ways, our ability to look into the future and imagine something positive for ourselves. And that's, in some sense, what hope is. But we've talked about kind of what sets apart uh, Christian hope from other kinds of hope, right? Because we use the word hope to mean all kinds of things in our world. And if you were here that first week after Thanksgiving, I had some people stand up here with cardboard signs, and the person who stood here had the word wish on their sign. And the person who stood here had the word uh, expectation on their sign. And then the person who stood over here had the word plan on their sign. And we talked about how those three words, wish, expectation, and plan, are all words that we often uh, are kind of pulling on when we say the word hope. Like, I hope uh, that I win the lottery was the example we used. That's really just a wish. But we use the word hope to kind of encompass that. Or we talked about about expectation. I expect that Florida State's going to get into the college playoff Right? We, we expect it, you look forward to it, you plan on it happening, but then it doesn't happen, which tells you oh, there was uncertainty associated with that in the first place. It's been a week, right? I think that's cooled down enough that we can say that. Okay. Then you've got over here plans, the things that you set your heart on, that you buy tickets for, that, that you anticipate coming up, and that seems so firm to us, and yet those plans can be disrupted at any moment and in so many different ways that we can't even plan for all the ways that our plans can go awry. And yet we use the word hope to cover all of those things. So that can get confusing, right? Because as Christians, we talk about, oh, well, you know, it's, it's important that we hope, and, and yet sometimes we use the word hope, but we're talking about our expectations or our plans. But we talked about, and we've distinguished, that one of the things that's unique about Christian hope specifically is that it is certain. And that's what sets apart the hope that we have in Jesus from our wishes, from our expectations, and from our plans, is that the hope that we have in Jesus is certain. And we've been talking about how as we take hold of that hope that has taken hold of us, it begins to change our experience of the world, even our experience of suffering, which is what we talked about last week. And what we see this week in our passage, we're getting to this story about Mary, the Annunciation is what it's often called, like church language. 
when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her, you're having a baby. And you're, you're, that's surprising to you for all kinds of reasons that will become evident in the text, right? Uh, that what we see in Mary is that the hope that she has in what God is doing in the world, uh, it compels her to participate in that plan. That because of the hope that has taken hold of her, now she is called into that story. That it dramatically affects her life and her choices and the way that she lives. And that's true for us as a people of hope, that as we are called into hope, as we take hold of the hope that has taken hold of us, that it changes the way that we engage and make choices in our world that we actually become people uh, who are willing to take risks as we follow the Holy Spirit and what he is doing in the world. Okay, so that is where we are going today. So I'm gonna invite our reader up. Our reader is my wife this morning, Caroline. Uh, And Caroline is gonna be reading for us out of Luke uh, 1, verses, oh, here, it's bookmarked. Okay, out of Luke 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Luke 1. It will also be on the screen Uh, behind us, and you can follow along up there. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thanks. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, and Lord, ask that as we study it this morning, uh, Lord, as I preach it, uh, that, uh, that you would be changing us. We trust that that is something that you can do, not only that you can do, Lord, but that you, uh, that you desire to do, and pray that you would do it this morning. Uh, and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So guys, this morning we're gonna be talking about, as we talk about hope and how it impacts us in our day-to-day lives, uh, we're gonna talk about the king who is promised in this story. We're gonna talk about the servant that we see here, that's Mary. And we're gonna talk about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. So the king who is coming, King Jesus, uh, the servant that we see in Mary, and the power of the king and of his kingdom. So to first talk about the king and his kingdom, and we just have to acknowledge here that it is, it's really easy to make Mary uh, the focal point of this story. And of course, because Mary is amazing. She's this teenage, this teenage girl who has been told uh, that she is going to, to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. And in the midst of all of the ways that that is gonna disrupt her life, because it, it does, 
right, that she responds uh, with incredible faith and curiosity about what God is doing. In the story that we studied last week with Zechariah, the same angel, Gabriel, uh, comes to this man who is a priest, right? He's serving in the temple. And in some ways, is all of the things that you would expect someone that God uses to be. And when Gabriel comes to him and tells him, your wife, who is also really old, is going to give birth to a son, a son uh, Zechariah responds with a how question. But for him, that how question is filled with doubt. It's filled with unbelief. And Mary's how question is so different. It's a question of curiosity. How is this gonna, how is this gonna happen? And it's not because Mary hasn't been in health class, right? Mary is asking the how question because she has been in health class. She knows how all this stuff works and she's saying, how is this gonna happen? There's this sense that, that she's gonna become pregnant and it's gonna happen imminently and she knows that she has not engaged in any of the, uh, she just knows she's not supposed to get pregnant, okay? Let's just, we'll just say that. But instead of pushing back against that, instead of unbelief, she meets God with this question, how is it going to happen? And then she ends with this statement, let it be to me according to your word. That her response uh, has shaped uh, in all kinds of, of even beautiful pieces of art throughout the centuries. You can look for examples of that all throughout the history of the church, but you can also see it in the Beatles songs, right? Let it be. Mother Mary comes to me, and I think there's a whole story about how that has nothing to do with the Virgin Mary, but obviously it does. That the way that she responds here has had a dramatic impact on our culture. It's made an impression. This woman is amazing. And yet, if we make this whole story about Mary, we're missing the point. That Luke didn't include this story only to show us how amazing Mary was, although that's a part of it. But Luke included this story to show us that the child that Mary is carrying is someone that we need to pay attention to. And that, that annunciation, the, the announcement of this child's birth, again, it's contrasted with the story that we studied last week. That that child was being born to two parents uh, who were very old, and that's like, very surprising, miraculous in some ways. This child is being born to someone who is a virgin. That's even more amazing. And the point of it is that, is that Luke is showing us, the author of this gospel is showing us that Jesus is so much greater even than John the Baptist, that he is the king who has been promised to the nation of Israel. When we look at verses 32 and 33 in this passage, we get all of this kingly language. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. That Gabriel's telling Mary, this child that you are gonna bear is a child that's gonna be a king which is very unexpected because Mary does not live in a palace. Like even when this passage describes Mary, it says that Gabriel visited her in Galilee, in specifically a town called Nazareth. He has to give that, uh, that description of Galilee because no one knew where Nazareth was. Like I grew up in California, right, in this place called Bakersfield. And, oh, thank you, yes. Uh, and when I tell people that, I always have to say, you know, it's two hours north of L.A. Because otherwise they would have no idea where I'm from, right? It's like that kind of small, uh, out of small, out-of-the-way town that no one is paying attention to, that this is the place that the king is going to be born to this teenage girl who is unmarried and has no qualifications to recommend her for being the carrier of a king. Through her and to her, this, this annunciation comes, and through her and to her, this king is going to be born. And 
And this king who is coming fulfills a long-standing hope for God's people. Hundreds of years before this announcement, God made a promise to this king whose name was David. And this King David, he was a king of this united kingdom of Israel. And in between uh, the time that, that David was king and the time that Mary lives, a whole lot has happened to the nation of Israel. It's basically been taken apart and no longer exists as it used to exist. But what God promised David is that uh, there would always be one of his children who would be king of the nation of Israel. And over time, this promise that God made to David, it started to kind of to grow and take on different dimensions. And the people of Israel, God's people, had this expectation that there would be a king who would come, who would come as, as a political ruler, who would assert his authority and would get rid of all of the oppressive uh, regimes that were lording over them were bearing down on them. But there was something even more than that, this hope for a king and a kingdom that was eternal. That's this king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Because a king isn't a king without a kingdom. They go together. That this king who is coming is gonna bring a kingdom and the king in the kingdom will be eternal. But the kingdom that this king is going to bring, it's so different than what the people of Israel expected. It's so upside down, and we see it in the life of ministry of Jesus because this child that Mary, uh, that Mary carried, that Mary bore, that Mary birthed out into the world, uh, he lived. He's already come. And the kingdom that he brought was nothing like the kingdom that people expected from him. And he taught people about this kingdom. He said, in this kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. It's an unexpected thing for a king to say, right? But this is a kingdom where there's actually strength in weakness. This is a kingdom where the king himself would suffer and would die for his people. It's a totally upside down kind of kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And in bringing that kingdom, and Jesus being that king and bringing this kingdom, uh, he's fulfilling all of these long-standing promises that God has made that Mary herself has hoped for. And guys, that kingdom uh, is even now breaking into our world. We live in this, in this place, we talked about it already, this time between the two advents, between the first and the second coming of Christ. Well, theologians talk about it as the already and the not yet. That Jesus has come into the world. He is a king and right now he is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ruling and reigning over this world and yet his kingdom has not fully come. That when he returns in power and in glory, the kingdom will come with him and it'll be flooded, this world will be flooded with his justice, with his grace, with his love, with his mercy. And we'll experience it in its fullness in a way that we can't even imagine now. And yet, even now, the kingdom is breaking through. And Jesus, when he teaches about it, he tells us it's like a little piece of leaven in a lump of dough, like yeast. And it's so small, but it, it eventually grows and it fills the whole loaf. It's like this little seed that gets planted in a garden and turns into this crazy, massive tree. That's the kingdom of God. It's like uh, I was walking laps around the block that's uh, around Rose Pepper and Portland Brew. 
because that's where I do some of my work. So it was nice. So I was walking laps around there. And uh, there's this telephone pole sticking out of the middle of the sidewalk. And uh, this beautiful vine with all of these red flowers curled up around it. Like, how did the vine get there? There's like barely any space for it to take root around the telephone pole. Yet in the middle of, of this like concrete jungle, there's this beautiful vine that popped out out of nowhere. That's the kingdom of God. It's him breaking through in his redemptive, grace-filled, loving work out into this world that's here. The king and his kingdom, they're here. And we've talked about it, we've talked about last week, the week before, and all of these passages we've been studying in Advent, what we hear so clearly is all of God's promises. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Yes, God will. He's done it, and he is doing it. And in this passage, what I want to draw our attention to in verse 31 is, and behold, uh, the, the angel says to Mary, you will. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You will. So in the midst of all of these promises of what God is going to do, God comes to Mary and he says, I have a role for you in my plan to reunite heaven and earth. He says to this teenage girl, you have a part to play in this, you. But this redemptive plan is brought about through individual people, through this individual woman, Mary. That God is working his plan through her. And guys, that is true for us as God's people. That God is working to bring his kingdom and he is doing it through you. And we could spend more ways kind of unpacking the way that it's surprising that God would use Mary. But can we just acknowledge that it is, it is surprising that God would use anyone? That us as like individual people and all of the stuff that is going on inside of us, that God would look at us and he would say, yes, you, you, individually, I am using you to bring about my kingdom in this world. Guys, that's shocking. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. He says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. You are his workmanship. You're his craftsmanship. Do you realize that you, as an individual person, you are God's work of art? That he has very specifically paid attention to every detail of how he has made you. And like anything that has been finely crafted, it's been finely crafted for a specific person. That there's a reason that you are you. And the reason that you are you is different than the reason that I am me. And that in making you you and coming to you and saving you and redeeming you, God has said, and there are specific things that I have, I have charted out for you to walk in, places of faith that I have called you to walk in, places of hope that I've called you to walk in to be about bringing my kingdom into this world. And guys, it, it's such a gift to be up here as your pastor and to look at your faces, and I wish I could just spend time saying each of your names. That it's each of you, specifically, individually, that God says, I have made you just the way I've made you on purpose. It's not a mistake. 
And in all of the ways that you experience that that feel like gifts and in all of the flip side of your gifts that feel like such intense weakness for you and places of pain, that even in those places, God is, he has a plan for how he's gonna use those things to bring his redemption and grace and goodness out into the world. And guys, it's such an adventure to say yes to the things that God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. The good works that he's prepared in advance that we should walk in them. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear that word good works. Like I think of helping a little old lady across the street. Like those kinds of like goody two-shoes, boy scouty kind of good works because it is so much bigger than that. God bringing his kingdom is so much bigger than that. Oh, and he is calling you, in, inviting you into the adventure of using all of the creativity that he has planted in you to participate with him in that work. And it is such an adventure. And here's the thing you have to know about adventures, guys, is that they are incredibly boring. Aren't they? Like when you read the, about them in history books, they're very exciting. But when you live an adventure in real life, it's super boring. Like if you ever, I, I was just listening to a, to a podcast about Christopher Columbus. What an adventure, Right? sailing across this uncharted sea. Uh, also, how boring. Day after day, you're just looking at the same ocean every day, right? People who climb Everest, you guys know I love books about climbing Mount Everest, super boring. You just get caught in a tent for days at a time, waiting for the storms to pass. Also, Lord of the Rings, okay? Uh, I love the books. I've read them a number of times, and a lot of people's criticism is that they're super Boring, yes, and it's because all people do in the books is just walk around and talk to each other. It's true, it's kind of boring. That's the nature of an adventure. They're boring. It's the day-to-day -day grind of, of saying yes to Jesus, and sometimes, guys, it's really boring. And you know what? Sometimes it's really hard, and sometimes it's really scary. Actually, it's always really scary. Because to live on the threshold of following Jesus in faith is to live on the edge of what you know and what you don't know and to say yes to stepping into what you don't know. And that's scary. And because it is so scary, often what we do is we recoil from it. They're like, the life is risky enough. I don't know if I want to sign up for more of it. And here's where hope plays such a big role in what we're talking about. Because it's your ability to imagine something good happening because you are facing your fear that allows you to step into the fear. Let me just say that one more time. It's your ability to imagine something good in the future that allows you, gives you the courage to face the fear in the first place. Like, for example, uh, a few weeks ago, I was putting up our Christmas lights. And I had a very clear picture of what I wanted our Christmas light to look like on the front of our house. And it included having lights like on the gable above our garage. Very important to me this year. Uh, but it was really hard to get up on the roof. And uh, you know, if you have done Christmas lights, I was just very committed to this day to like finishing. So... I was willing to do some not very smart things, which included taking my ladder and putting it on top of a folding table. I know, I, guys, I know, I'm not proud of it, okay? It was, it was very dumb, but clearly I'm still here. So, it was also my wife's idea. I just want to put that out there. She was holding the ladder, okay? She held the ladder. She held the ladder for me. 
She was in on the vision of the Christmas lights, right? I could just see them. It's going to be so beautiful. I'm willing to take whatever risk it takes to get those things up. And then I got on the roof and I thought, this was so dumb, but if I get down, how am I going to get back up? I guess we're just going to finish it up, okay? I'm not saying it's clear thinking. It's just what happened. And I'm sitting up there. Oh my gosh, in like running shorts on this like gravelly asphalt shingles trying to like hang over and put the hooks on. And I had this moment of thinking, I could slide off right now and fall into these bushes and that would be really bad. And I'm up on my roof, frozen. Like I sat there, it took longer than it had to take because I was so scared about falling off the roof that suddenly my picture of the beauty of what I was about to create was like swamped by this tsunami of all of my fear of falling off the roof. I'm not saying you should get up on your roofs by putting your ladder on a folding table. But what I am saying is that, that in our fear impacts our ability, our willingness to, to take risks. The, the kind of future that we can imagine uh, in the face of our fear impacts our ability to take risks, right? Okay, and here is the hope that we have in Jesus. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Then he says a little bit later, for nothing will be impossible with God. Okay, so the author of the book of Luke is this guy named Luke. And Luke wrote a part two in the Bible and it's called Acts. And it's basically one book. Okay, and you know what Luke says in the beginning, of, what Jesus says in the beginning of Acts, Acts one or two, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them right before he ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he says, you will receive power when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's the same language, guys. It's the same spirit. This same Holy Spirit who came upon Mary in power, the same creative, generative work that was in her womb, it lives, if you are in Christ, he lives in you. The same one who was all about bringing God's plan of redemption, working it out in this world, who is full of creative power. That Holy Spirit lives in you. You have what you need to face, that, to face the fear of following Jesus in your day-to-day -day life because you have the Holy Spirit. He's been given to you. And let me be very clear. That does not mean that the outcome that you want is guaranteed. Because I have the Holy Spirit in me does not mean I was not going to fall off that ladder, right? It was very possible. And we all have stories of that where we have taken the risk and we've stepped out in fear and we've fallen off the ladder in some way. Yes. The hope that we cling to, the promise that we're holding on to, is not that we know all of the ways the kingdom is coming, it's that we know it is and that God has promised he's working it out in and through us, and so we are participating in that story. That's the promise. That's the certainty of what we're holding on to. And what that allows us then to do is to approach the unknown of life with a curiosity like Mary. How? I am so curious about how that's going to unfold, right? That's the attitude we get to bring to our relationship of following Jesus. Like, Jesus, I'm so curious what's going to happen here. And it turns that fear, it allows us to see it as excitement. 
because fear, the bodily experience of fear and the bodily experience of excitement are pretty similar, basically the same. The only difference is the outcome that we are imagining when we enter into that fear. When we imagine uh, something bad happening, we call it fear. When we enter into the fear and we imagine something good happening, then we call it excitement. Are you looking forward to that trip to Disneyland? Well, when you're imagining all of the money it's going to cost and how horrible the lines are, we call it fear, right? When you're imagining the joy of being in the park, uh, we call that excitement. I'm using a silly example, but you can kind of go with me on that, right? Like you can see how that plays out differently. That the fear and the excitement are just two sides of the same coin. And our confidence that God is moving in the world, that he's bringing his kingdom, that he's doing it through us, it allows us to face that fear, to acknowledge it, and then to engage with it, imagine that God is doing something in it and through it, even if it's just in us. And to say, yes, let it be to me according to your word. There's a surrender here that sounds very passive, but for Mary, believe it or not, it was very active because she had to engage with that, let it be to me according to your word, every day for the next nine months. And then her son came into this world and his life and his ministry looked nothing like what she had imagined. And she had to practice over and over and over again, taking hold of the hope and the promises that had taken hold of her. And this practice that we've been engaging in throughout Advent, this daily examine, okay, it's a critical part of the way that we engage with this fear in our day-to-day lives. Because when we stop and we reflect and we remember and ask God to show us uh, where he's been at work, we're practicing curiosity. We're saying to Jesus, Jesus, where have you been? Not as an accusation, but as a curiosity. Lord, open my eyes to seeing you in my day-to-day life. And then we can look forward with confidence knowing that same Jesus who was with us then will be with us into the future. And we can be confident of that, that he will be working in and through us so we can look ahead at that next day or the day that comes after and say, Jesus, will you walk with me in that? Would you give me the courage to say yes to you in those little moments of fear and invitation that I'm gonna face? And then to step back and say, I wonder what you're going to do. So let's take hold of the hope that has taken hold of us as we sing together now. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're thankful that you have come, that we get to live on this side of your first coming, Lord, in the confidence uh, of knowing our king, Lord, and knowing what our king is like, um, that you are good, that you love us, that you are for us, that you are full of grace and mercy. And Lord, we confess that we are a people who are so often afraid. Um, Lord, would you teach us to see that fear not as something to be afraid of, but as a place of invitation to meet with you? Lord, to develop confidence and curiosity about what you're doing. Would you do that for us as we sing uh, even now? Amen.